Welcome to Brandon Speaks. If you are looking for a fascinating podcast related to optimal health, rehabilitation, and human performance based on how the body actually works, that is authentic and at times a tad animated, you have come to the right place. Go grab a notebook, a pen, and some organic popcorn and get ready for a journey with your host as he discusses health-related topics and perhaps life in general based on research and his own practical clinical experience. The contents of this podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice. Please consult a licensed healthcare or functional medicine provider before embarking on any health, fitness, or dietary change. And now, here is your host, Brandon J. Alleman, owner and operator of Innate Movement and Wellness. Let's listen in and learn as Brandon speaks. All right, everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome. Uh, thank you all for joining me on this very first episode of my podcast, which I decided to title uh, Brandon Speaks. Um, I am your host, Brandon J. Alamo, and today is, uh, actually I have no idea, what is today? Today is Monday, August 3rd, 2020. I have no idea when this podcast will be posted, but that's the recording date. Uh, and after years of being asked by uh, patients and clients, colleagues, family, friends, uh, you know, random people that I don't even know, uh, everybody's always told me, man, you really need to do a podcast. You really need to do a podcast. You have so much to say. People need to hear this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've probably heard that for at least five or six years now, maybe a little longer. Uh, but truth be told, uh, for those of you had, who do know me, I am not the most tech-savvy individual uh, on our planet. So I've avoided the whole podcast thing because uh, you know just really wasn't sure kind of how to get it done, if I'm being honest. And also because uh, I am a bit of a perfectionist, perhaps to a fault. So never really thought I'd be able to record something that I would consider to be good enough Uh, to put out for the masses so i've kind of procrastinated avoided it maybe out of fear whatever Uh, but today's the day we're going to start the first episode uh, and i'm going to keep it going uh, for as long as i can i'm not sure how frequently i'll do it but i'll do it as frequently as i can for sure i'll try i'll probably be trying for something around once a week uh, but you know we'll definitely put out at least a couple of them uh, each month depending on time and all those, uh, you know, good variables that have to be taken into account whenever doing stuff like this. Uh, plus, there's a huge learning curve for me for, you know, how to do all this. So, today's the uh, kind of an introduction uh, podcast. Uh, I'm going to try to keep all of the episodes uh, somewhat on the reservation. Uh, short and concise has never really been my style. Uh, so, I'm hoping to keep things within... Uh, I guess 60 to 90 minutes or so, depending on the topic. I'm sure some things will be shorter, some things will be a little bit longer, depending on what we're discussing. Um, the entire podcast is going to be in, in in monologue style, which basically means that it's just going to be me running my mouth for an hour or so. Um, I'm usually fairly uh, pretty good at that, so uh, I'll try to keep them as short as concise as I can, but like I said, that's that's never really been uh, <laughs> in my nature. Uh Today's episode is, uh, is sort of going to be a little bit narcissistic because I'm kind of going to just be talking about myself, introducing myself, 
personally and, and, and professionally and kind of give uh, those of you who don't know anything about me a little bit about my background, uh, it, you know, kind of who the hell do I think I am and what the hell is is it do I think I do. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to make, you know, fairly quick work of that. I'm, I'm not super enthused about uh, having a big long conversation about myself. Um, but, you know, I've been accused of, uh, well... <laughs> I've been accused of being a lot of things in the past, but uh, one of those things is uh, be, uh, I've been accused of being somewhat unrelatable. Uh, so in an effort to relate and be relatable, uh, I'm going to attempt to explain you know, who it is I think I am and what it is I think I do uh, for a living. Uh, so I guess first and foremost, uh, I'm, I'm a human being uh, like the rest of you. Uh, depending on who you talk to, I may or may not have extraterrestrial DNA mixed in. I don't know. I uh, haven't checked that out yet. Um, I am a husband to an absolutely amazing wife uh, and a father to uh, two pretty amazing sons. Uh, my wife is pretty much uh, the center of my universe. Uh, she supports me. She knocks me over the head whenever I do stupid things. Uh, and we challenge each other daily and you know support each other's growth and all that good stuff we've been uh together for almost a decade now uh, our oldest boy is uh, 14 he's going to be an eighth grader this year or maybe not who knows how school's going to work out and all this stuff with uh with the plague and all that and our youngest is uh four so we've got a you know early teenager and a toddler and, you know, having a, a prepubescent slash pubescent teenager and a toddler at the same time, for those of you who have never had that experience, it's pretty much like having two of the same thing. Uh, it's a blast at times, and at times it's also, you know, absolutely gut-wrenchingly maddening, uh, which is, I guess, you know, par for the course uh, when it comes to parenting. Um, so, you know, that that's uh, just a little bit about, you know, me from a personal perspective. Uh, I don't, I don't want to spend a, a, a ton of time uh, on, you know, myself outside of my work, things that I enjoy. Uh, obviously I enjoy going to the gym. I like picking up heavy things and putting them back down. Um, I like anything that's, you know, gonna, gonna challenge me in, in, in any way, physically, uh, mentally, uh, etc. Um, I thoroughly enjoy reading. Uh, obviously I'm, I'm quite a bit of a nerd. Um, and that's cool. Don't have a problem with that. Uh, whatever you want to call that, stereotype, I guess. Um, love to read, love to go to the gym. Uh, my first love was actually the game of basketball. Um, I've always been uh, pretty active, uh, played competitive basketball for about 14 years. Uh, I was also a competitive boxer for a while. Um, took up weightlifting around, uh, I don't know, f I guess 15 years old or so. Um, and I also enjoy uh, indoor rock climbing, which uh, I haven't been able to do uh, a whole lot of since the uh, since the plague started. Uh, so hopefully I'm able to get back to doing that. Uh, myself and my oldest enjoy that a good bit, and my youngest will be old enough to, to hit up the rock gym pretty soon. So that'll be fun uh, once all the dust settles from all of what's happening right now. Uh, so, uh, the, you know, again, just a little bit about me personally and my background. Uh, I'll go into all the all the professional stuff. Uh, I've been in the rehabilitation, health, and fitness fields for about two decades now. Uh, wow. Actually, now that I say that out loud, I, I kind of 
starting to feel a little bit old. Uh, but anyway, uh, I actually started uh, in 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 1999, not long after I graduated high school, uh, started out as a, you know, in the, in the personal training industry. Um, and kind of how I got into that uh, a little bit was uh, I suffered a back injury when I was 17 years old. Hurt my back pretty bad. I was actually an L4-5 disc pathology uh, doing, uh, you know, things that shouldn't be done in the weight room because that's what you do whenever you're in high school because... Lots of the coaches at the high school sport level have absolutely no idea how to uh, c- properly condition uh, the body. Uh, not, not, not to say all of them don't, but many of them, that's not necessarily their specialty. So we were doing all kinds of foolish things in the gym uh, as a team and, and individually uh, at the time. And I injured my back pretty bad. Uh, I can remember barely being able to walk for a while, uh, sleeping on the floor of my bedroom with my legs up on a chair very uncomfortable for about three straight weeks. I was going to physical therapy and doing all these things and absolutely nothing was getting better. Um, and I believe that was when I got a hold of, I think it was Shirley Sarman's book, uh, Diagnosis and Treatment of Movement Impairment Syndromes or something or another. I'm sure I have it somewhere in the library here. Um, that was uh, one of the first books on rehabilitation I got a hold of. And it might not... It, it, the book that I got at that time might have been the earlier version of, of the current one that I have. I can't remember exactly which one it was. But anyway, I decided to try to start rehabilitating my own back because nothing was working. I wasn't able to walk really well. Obviously, I couldn't run, wasn't able to play basketball. And basketball was kind of my uh, escape from life, so to speak, at the time. So uh, I did what I could uh, based on what I was reading and was actually fairly successful at, at getting myself back to being able to play at a very high level. Uh, with no pain and I thought to myself gee well, this would be kind of a cool uh, you know it might be kind of a cool career to think about you know I enjoyed uh, the process of it and you know to be able to help other people do the same thing might be a really cool thing one day but you know you don't really know what you're going to do whenever you're 17 years old at least very few people do uh, so I, I just you know put it under my hat and kept on going uh, after high school I ultimately decided at the time, going through high school, I was very interested in biology, physiology, and particularly in endocrinology. I was one of those really nerdy kids. Uh, my junior and senior years, I actually purchased my uh, biology uh, honors courses, biology one and biology two textbooks. You know, who does that? Who buys their high school textbooks? Yeah, this guy. Um, because I was fascinated with uh, just, just the human body, physiology, food, and how it affects physiology. Uh, if it dealt with the human body, I was keenly interested in it. Uh, I remember reading me- medical journals from a friend of mine's mom who was an immunohematologist at the time. Uh, just anything I could get my hands on that was related to, to the body and, and how it functioned uh, was just absolutely fascinated me. So I read as much as I could, probably starting at around uh, about 16, 15 or 16 years of age. Uh, so I went to, when we got to college, I decided I would I would major in dietetics because, you know, at the time I thought, you know, they're going to teach me all these cool things about food and how it affects the body and how you can, you know, improve physiology and all these different things. Um, that ended up not being the case, and I'll get to that in a minute. But at the same time, I took a I took a job as a personal trainer with a a fairly well known local company. Uh, it was called Fitness and Performance Concepts, uh, and 
about a year into that, I actually uh, was selected as a finalist in the uh, it was in the 2000 Metrex World's Best Personal Trainer Contest. Actually, that was back whenever they did that. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but there were somewhere around 22 or 23,000 entries worldwide. They selected uh, 16 finalists. I ended up uh, placing second in my category, which was the weekend warrior category, which was the most heavily populated category at the time. Uh, and I believe I was 19 years old. Um, you know, they, the metrics flew us out to California for three or four days. We, you know, underwent interview processes about our methodologies and our training concepts and philosophies and all these different things. Um, and that was pretty cool. And about the same time, uh, I was in school doing the whole dietetics thing. wasn't really paying attention a whole heck of a lot to it because uh, I, I didn't necessarily agree with a ton of the information that was being taught in, in, tr in traditional dietetics. Um, at that time, I had but before I even got to college, I had already started picking up on other researchers and was getting my hands on things from from people who were very well known. Uh, I was studying the works of uh, John Berardi, uh, who's a PhD in, in uh, biochemical nutrition, I believe, from the University of Western Ontario in Canada. Uh, I was studying Dr. Moro de Pasquale's work, uh, Dr. Lonnie Lowry, um, a, a whole bunch of other guys uh, in, in the nutritional world. Um, and a lot of the information that these guys were, were putting out there in terms of how you could use food to improve physiology and change body composition and improve your sleep and enhance your recovery and all these different things was just completely counterintuitive to everything that was being taught in the university setting where I was. Uh, so I, I kind of began to get a little bit disinterested <laughs> or uninterested in, in what they were teaching, um, but you know, still had to go through the motions and make the grades and and do all that stuff and 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 I did that um, at one point I was in a class I, I honestly can't remember if it was uh, human nutrition and lifespan or if it was a medical nutritional therapy one class something or another I don't know but the teacher who uh, I won't name was a double PhD PhD in something or another and, and PhD in, in sports nutrition and we got into a you know, it was about a 120 person auditorium class I sat at the back way at the top trying to be inconspicuous but professor starts spouting off a bunch of stuff about branch chain amino acids that I considered to be technically inaccurate from everything else that I had been reading so I made the dubious decision to challenge uh, the professor in front of the entire class uh, which you know promptly got me a, a swift exit <laughs> from the class it was thrown out told not to come back so on and so forth make a long story short I took decided to take my argument to the dean of dietetics at the university and I, I got a meeting scheduled with uh, the dean and that particular professor. I sat on one end of the table. They sat on the other end of the table. And I argued my point until I got both of them to admit that they were wrong. And then I withdrew from the university the next day. <laughs> uh, so that might give you a little bit of an idea, for those of you who don't know me, kind of how my brain works and uh, a little bit about my personality. I have calmed down somewhat um, since that time. But whenever I decided to drop out of college which was, you know, a really popular decision with my parents, considering I was on full academic scholarship and all sorts of other stuff. It was about that time, uh, or a little bit earlier, I'd also gotten a hold of uh, the work of Paul Check. 
and Paul is the founder of the Czech Institute. He's a, a holistic health practitioner. He's a neuromuscular therapist. He's a specialist in high performance and corrective exercise kinesiology, and he's an international lecturer. He's been lecturing internationally since about 1988. Founder of the Czech Institute. He's got uh, like a four-year Czech practitioner program, although now I think the, the program goes by another name. I think it's called like an... Uh, I don't know, an integrated movement specialist or, or something or another. But back in the day, whenever I entered the program, it was just called the Czech Practitioner Program. So about a four-year program. Uh, when I entered it, it was four levels. I believe now it's five. It takes about four years to go through that. Um, and he's also got the uh, a Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Program, which is about a year and a half, two-year program. At the time when I entered that, it was called Nutrition and Lifestyle Coaching. Uh, they changed the name over the course of time. Things evolve. That's kind of the, the nature of things. Uh, so I had gotten a hold of a lot of Paul's work, his writings, a few of his correspondence courses uh, during the first year I was in college. And it wasn't until the end of my second year where I had the uh, the dispute where I figured, all right, well, if I'm teaching you guys things that you should be teaching me, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and, and see myself out the door. Uh, so I decided to go full, you know, headfirst into into the Czech practitioner and into Paul's program with the Czech Institute, uh, and you know, I, I went all the way to uh, level three in the Czech practitioner system. Uh, I think at the time I was the youngest Czech level three in the world, outside of uh, J.P. Sears. Uh, you guys might know him. He's he's fairly uh, hilarious and somewhat uh, famous now with his uh, comedic routines and such. Uh, but anyway. Uh, went all the way to level three in that system, and I'm also a holistic lifestyle coach level two in that system. That brings us to about uh, me being somewhere around 21 years of age. Uh, I moved from the comforts of home, which are, uh, or which is the the blazing heat of southern Louisiana, and I moved to uh, East Providence, Rhode Island, of all places. Uh, when I was at my level one check internship, I met a couple. Uh, we hit it off really well, uh, and they owned uh, a clinic and was opening a second clinic, uh, actually in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Uh, and they uh, had some pretty big plans for that clinic, and they wanted me to head up the uh, clinical and corrective exercise aspect of the clinic. Uh, so at 21 years of age, I moved all the way uh, from southern Louisiana to uh, East Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, did some while well, I was I was out there for a couple of years. Did some did a little bit of consulting work in Boston. Did some consulting work in New York City with a few colleagues of mine out there. Had a blast. Um, and it was actually out there that uh, a colleague of mine, uh, her name's Jennifer Beauregard, uh, absolutely brilliant woman, uh, introduced me to uh, the the science and the art of of manual osteopathy uh, and 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 cranial osteopathy in in particular. Uh, Jennifer was a, a craniosacral therapist, super high up in uh, Dr. John Upledger's system. I believe she was like a level five or a level six craniosacral therapist or something at the time. She had been a neuromuscular therapist for a little over 10 years. Went through both. Um, there were two different schools of neuromuscular therapy at the time. Uh, now I believe there's you know there's there's a whole host of them. There's three or four at least that I know of. Uh, but at the time there were only two schools in neuromuscular therapy, multiple levels of each, and she had gone through both. She was also a certified yoga therapist. Absolutely brilliant woman. Um, and she was the one that introduced me to uh, osteopathy and, and and cranial osteopathy. And her husband Peter 
actually introduced me to a lot of manual therapy as well with uh, neuromuscular therapy and uh, all sorts of different, uh, you know, uh, somatics and all these different things that I, I hadn't heard of before at the time. Uh, I believe I was 20 or 21. I uh, spent a couple of years out there, absolutely loved it, learned a ton about manual therapy uh, from from my colleagues, and you know, it was kind of a trade-off. They would teach me manual therapy stuff. I would teach them things that I knew about exercise and corrective exercise and strength and conditioning and all that good stuff, uh, and then it just, you know, simply got too cold. I mean, it's, 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 it's freezing cold out there <laughs> for six or seven months out of the year, and for a good old southern boy who's used to, you know, nine months of spring and summer and just a few months of chilly weather uh it was a little it was a bit much um so i came home after a couple years uh, I'll, I'll skip through a whole bunch of stuff but you know fast forward to today and in addition to my check training uh i do have uh, i do hold a do a uh, doctor of osteopathy in in european manual osteopathy um kind of a long story of how that works but uh you know osteopathy in the united states if, if if somebody is a is a do in the united states they typically go through traditional medical school they do the whole drugs and the surgery thing and i believe in some schools they may get somewhere between two and three hundred hours of manual therapy training and all that kind of stuff um that's actually not the way osteopathy was 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 designed uh, to be practiced the the founder of osteopathy is dr andrew taylor still um and osteopathy is really n- nothing about drugs nothing about surgery it's using and working with the somatic framework or the human framework the, the bones of the body uh, muscles organs ligaments tendons and how the body works using manual therapy and other things to enhance uh, the function of the body and to bring about a healing response. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with anything outside of the body with drugs and surgery and all that kind of stuff. So in, in, in European osteopathy and also uh, Canadian osteopathy or you know, it's French-Canadian, whatever you want to call it, um, everything's it's heavily... Uh, focused on on the manual therapy aspect of it so there's you know programs that are three and four thousand hours of manual therapy training and you you will get some you know some medical stuff uh, thrown in there in terms of like diagnosis and symptomatology and things like that but in the states even though you have a do in manual osteopathy you can't put do behind your name which i don't do um, in the States, I, I have to refer to myself as an osteopathic manual practitioner, which is cool, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Most people don't have the foggiest idea of what it is I do anyway. I'll get into that in a minute. Um, so I've got the DO in, in manual osteopathy. Um, I've also done uh, a couple of two or three fellowships in functional medicine and functional lab interpretation, which you know took about uh, three, three and a half years or so back in the day. Uh, I'm sort of board certified as a holistic health practitioner and a whole bunch of other stuff. All that stuff about me and uh, my background and uh, certifications and courses that I've taken and all that stuff can be found on my website if you're you know if you need further clarification on on things like that. 
uh, you know, basically professionally, I've, I've pretty much been self-employed since I was 19 years old. I've never really found it all that easy to work for someone else. Uh, maybe I'm hard-headed. Maybe I'm stubborn. Maybe I'm just an ass. I don't know. Maybe I'm all of those things, but uh, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not terribly good at, at, at taking orders. So I've pretty much worked for myself uh, since I was 19. Um, I've, I decided kind of early on that I'd rather kind of try to build my own dream instead of building the dreams of someone else. And that's, uh, that, that's just me personally. That's kind of just how I roll. Uh, so currently, I am the owner and operator of Innate Movement and Wellness, which is a company which consists of uh, pretty much me, myself, and I. It's just me. Um, I operate, I always make jokes with uh, patients and clients of mine and saying I can do what I do in a closet uh, because I, I literally operate out of an 11 by 22 treatment room. Uh, with, you know, just a, a big room with some cool charts on the wall, a few quotes, you know, a nice little sitting area, a treatment table and a desk and some books. Um, and I basically help people. My, my practice is centered, centered around helping people eliminate chronic pain and working with uh, chronic health issues of all types. There's kind of two sides uh, to my practice. Uh, on, on one end or on one side of the coin is the physical side of my practice, which is primarily focused on as I said chronic pain but it's usually uh, chronic back pain chronic neck pain uh, temporal mandibular joint disorders or what I like to call uh, cranial cervical mandibular dysfunction or CCMD issues uh, headaches uh, traumatic brain injury and concussions type stuff and also just the really weird unexplained no one can figure out neurological issues and so on the physical side of my practice, those are the things that I see the most of. Do I see things that are acute, like somebody, you know, had a, you know, whatever, a grade two inversion ankle, ankle sprain or something like that. An athlete hurt their, hurt their foot or, or ankle and, you know, they need to hurry up and do some things to get back on the field or the court or whatever. Yes, I'll see stuff like that every now and then. I don't see a lot of acute stuff, um, but I do see some of it. Most of the people that walk into uh, my clinic space whatever you want to call it is or, or whatever it is they're dealing with they've been dealing with that for quite some time uh, you know a year three years five years ten years sometimes you know a couple decades or longer uh, so I do have a pretty heavy focus on on cranial work and cranial osteopathy I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, uh, you know uh, just a little bit later on but that's kind of the summary uh, more or less in a nutshell of my, my physical practice, what I focus on, what I see the most of. Um, so a little bit about, you know, somewhat of an explanation of my typical patient or client. Uh, I would say the average, the average person that comes to see me has probably seen an average of about six professionals for the same problem. Uh, you know, from uh, ortho, you know, orthopedic surgeons and their, their, their general, uh, their primary care physician or general practitioner, they've seen at least a half a dozen doctors for the same problem. Uh, and based on my experience, most of these people have had a very reductionistic approach to their rehabilitation program. And, and what I mean by that is everything is very uh, sort of isolated, A plus B equals C kind of thing. As an example, if you have back pain, I've seen people that have had back pain for 10 years and they've had their back 
their low backs uh, dry needled. They've had massage. They've been to five chiropractors. They've tried acupuncture. They've gone to physical therapy a dozen times or more. Uh, you know, they've done magnet therapy and everything they can possibly think of, and they still have back pain. Uh, same thing can be said for other other problems. Um, so that's a typical typical person that walks into my door uh, with you know oftentimes you know medical files that are two or three inches thick. Um, and the issue there for me, primarily just to give you guys a little bit about how I kind of see these things, is that the allopathic model or the the Western medicine model, it, and particularly in in manual medicine and, and rehabilitation seems to be suffering from some sort of a long-standing hangover uh, of a drive to try to identify a single causative factor or a single causative mechanism for whatever it is they're dealing with. So they're looking for one cause for low back pain or a single causative factor for this person's headaches or whatever. And a, a lot of that is born out of and has built into it a very linear and reductionistic approach to a system which is anything but linear. The, the human body is not a linear system at all. Uh, and, and for me, if you, if you take a linear approach to it, uh, you're, you're likely to spin your wheels for a, for a very long time. Um, so because that kind of, that, that sort of that consciousness uh, has, a, or that kind of a system has a stronghold on the consciousness of not only the average individual, but entire industries like the rehabilitation industry and sometimes even the exercise industry and certainly the medical profession, it's kind of exerted itself uh, also in manual therapies, alternative health practices, and everybody's looking for some kind of a magic bullet kind of therapy or a supplement of some kind that's going to fix, fix all the problems, right? So it, some of this stuff has gone through phases, uh, particularly in rehabilitation. So like I said, I've, I've been doing this for about, about 20 years now. Um, now, as I said, when I first started out, it was more general personal training, just helping people kind of feel a little bit better. You know, uh, I put them on what I called the look good naked program, right? People just wanted, you know, general body composition changes. They wanted to look better in a, in a bathing suit or look better when they had, you know, th their clothes off or, you know, just have their, just feel better in general, you know, more generalized personal training type stuff. I did that for probably three or four years. But over the last 15 or 16 years or so, it's been more on the clinical exercise side, more on the manual therapy side, and much more clinical rehabilitation in nature. Um, so over the course of time, things go through these, these phases, right? So, I mean, back in the day, you know, when it came to something like back pain, as an example, uh, at one point in time, everything was about the disc, right? The disc, the disc, the disc. The disc means everything. If you can centralize the disc, if you can normalize how it functions, so on and so forth, uh, your, your back pain is going to go away. And then, you know, that didn't so much work very well. Uh, there were a number of systems that came out of that line of thinking. Uh, you know, this was maybe, I don't know, this was probably probably around 20 years ago or, or maybe even more. Um, and then it became all about, you know, the joints. You know, the joints, the joints, the joints. If you can normalize the function of the joints, then you're going to get rid of your back pain. And that didn't necessarily work. Then it was all about nerves. Uh, do everything you can to take pressure off of the nerves. Make sure the nerves are free to move and glide and function the way they're supposed to. And so on and so forth. Then it was all about, 
muscles and soft tissue and, and postural balance and all this kind of stuff. And today, you know, I, I run into a lot of people who think that, you know, everything from herpes to hemorrhoids is caused by a problem uh, in the fascia. So now it's everything's about fascia, 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 which I guess if you had to pick one, that would be kind of the one to go with because it's a little bit more all inclusive. But uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make is there's there's always been this this drive to find this singular one thing that's going to fix, you know, problem X, whatever that problem may be. And that's a linear and, and reductionistic approach uh, to a system that is very much nonlinear in its nature. Uh, so one of the things, and it's a, it's a core consideration that, that seems to be completely ignored. And I've, I've spoken about this to every single patient or client that I've had and people who just ask me my opinions in general on things like this. I've talked about this very easily. I can remember having these exact conversations in 2002, 2003, 2004, when I started moving into the rehabilitation and more clinical aspects of things is that and it's completely ignored that within a biological system, pain itself is a bi-directional process, right? It means it moves in two directions, right? So in one direction, for, for things like, for, for something like pain, you have things like biomechanical loading, right? So cumulative stress on body structures from compression, from torsion, from uh, shear. And you have things like sensitization of, of, of the central nervous system. All of those things are like all the kind of the physical stuff in one direction of, of the pain picture. Uh, but in the other direction, which is what most people uh, either completely ignore or definitely don't pay enough attention to, in the other direction is all of the repair mechanisms, right? Which include an individual's nutrition and hydration status. Or, or just the body's entire biochemical status in general, which, by the way, happens to be influenced by the way someone br is breathing. And your breathing can be in, it can in turn be influenced by your perception, your hormonal status. And you have all of these things and, and the general fundamental homeostatic mechanisms which determine the rate of healing and adaptability in the human body. So it's a, it's a, it's a bi-directional phenomenon with pain. And oftentimes, not only is there a linear approach which is just looking at trying to find one cause of the pain. That's only on the physical side of things, looking at one side of that coin. Uh, and on the other side, you have all of the things that determine your rate of healing and your rate of adaptability that nobody pays any attention to. So for me, when I sat down and, and kind of started looking at everything as, as, as globally and sort of holistic uh, as I can, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the term holistic later because it sometimes gets on my nerves. But looking at something from, say, 100,000, trying to look at all this stuff from what I would refer to as a 100,000-foot view, for me, the osteopathic philosophy is one of the most comprehensive philosophies for caring for the human framework that exists. Right? The whole thing is summed up by, by the quote by a quote by uh, Dr. Andrew Taylor Steele, and this is a huge quote that hangs on a very large canvas uh, in my office. And the quote from Dr. Steele is that uh, a student of life must take in each part of the body and study its uses and relations to other parts and systems. Right, so I'm going to say that again. A student of life must take in each part of the body and study its uses and relations to other parts and systems systems. 
that quote right there for me kind of sums kind of sums it all up. If you're going to be working with the human body, I don't care if you're working with the human body as a as a personal trainer, as a as a dance and movement educator, as a, a Pilates instructor, as uh, a physical therapist, occupational therapist, chiropractor, medical doctor, I don't care what you are, that quote sums it all up. That's basically a lifelong pursuit right there, taking in each part of the body and studying exactly how it works, what it does, what what's what it what's its structure, how's it designed to operate, and study that in relations in relationship to other parts and systems in the body. So in osteopathy there's essentially four key operating principles. And those those principles are number one, the body is a unit that's composed of body, mind, and, and spiritual elements. That's not really a debatable point. Okay, the, everything in the in the body is is connected, um, and it's it's one unit. You're not going to separate the body from the mind, uh, from from the spirit. Uh, the second principle is that the body is capable of self-regulating and self-healing. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I named my company Innate Movement and Wellness. Innate means it's kind of built in, right? And the body has these self-regulating and self-healing mechanisms built in within it. Uh, all you need to do is to be able to remove some of the roadblocks, kind of like, you know, removing stones from the road so that traffic can flow properly. Uh, the third principle or the the fourth uh the third key operating principle in osteopathy is that structure and function are intimately related. Right, so your structure influences your function and your function also influences your structure. If things get messed up structurally, um, then they don't function the way that they're supposed to. If, you're, if you lose your spinal curves or if you develop really poor posture uh, and your postural disposition is, is altered, it changes the function of lots of things in the body. Um, and the fourth principle is that sound treatment is based on the understanding of the first three principles. So when you understand that the body is a unit composed of body, mind, and spirit elements, and that it's capable of self-regulating and self-healing, and that structure and function are intimately related, you begin to take a more global look at all of the th at, at the body and how it works, as opposed to trying to be uh, extremely linear and, and reductionistic and, and very kind of uh, narrow minded or narrow you have a very narrow focus of an extremely broad kind of a topic so the way I implement those four principles personally this is this is a, a, a Brandon J Alamo thing I'm sure there are other people who do things somewhat similar to this but this is how I incorporate and acknowledge and honor those four principles in my practice I, I put those principles into practice based on four pillars for me, the first pillar is that all is in link. And what that means for me is that everything is connected to everything else. <laughs> and if there's any truth to that, which there is, and all you have to do is study you know, anatomy and relational anatomy to be able to understand that, uh, if everything is connected to any, everything else, then anything, <clears throat> anything can cause anything as a result of the structure-function relationship. Right, so that's a that's a key point and a key pillar in in my opinion that really gets overlooked. You know, anything can cause anything because of the structure function relationship. Structure and function are intimately related to one another, 
And if everything is connected to everything else, then literally anything can cause anything. So you could have a problem in your neck that can create knee pain. You could have a problem in your in your cranium that can create issues uh, in in your in your pelvis. It can actually it can create digestive issues and create hormonal problems. It can literally create anything you can think of. Anything can cause anything because everything is in link. Uh, so as an example, one of the examples that I like to share uh, with with uh, patients and clients of mine is that your the the fascia in your cervical spine. The cervical fascia actually extends from the base of your skull uh, to the mediastinum and forms some of the compartments that enclose the esophagus, your trachea, uh, your carotid vessels, and uh, provide some support for, for, the, for, the, uh, for the pharynx, the larynx, and the thyroid gland, and all the stuff that's you know, in your throat, neck area. And there's direct continuity of that fascia from, from the apex of your diaphragm, which is you know right around your around your rib cage area um, from, from the apex of the diaphragm to the base of your skull right so that fascia extends through the through the fibrous pericardium upwards through the deep cervical fascia and there's continuity which extends uh, to the outer surface of, of a few bones in your in your cranium it's called the sphenoid bone the occipital bone the temporal bones uh, and the fascia actually goes a little bit further than that through the through the foramina at the base of the skull around the vessels and, and nerves in that area and actually joins the dura, which is kind of the stuff that encases uh, your, your brain and spinal cord for, uh, I'll leave it at that for simplicity purposes. So that might have been a little bit on the technical side for, for people who are not, you know, really familiar with technical anatomy and, and detailed anatomy type stuff. But basically that just shows you that you're, you know, a muscle that lies around the rib cage is actually connected to your temporal bone, which is right around your ear. It's also connected to your occipital bone, which is at the, the back of your head, and your, your sphenoid bone, which is the bone that's kind of, say, a little bit right behind your eyes uh, within the cranial vault. So that's one very simple, even though it sounds complicated, that's one very simple example of how lots of things are linked together uh, in the human body. So the, the whole all is in link thing is a, a pillar in, in my practice where somebody comes in and you have headaches that could be coming from anywhere uh, and I'll have a I'll probably have a future podcast on, on just headaches itself uh, the second pillar that I use is that nothing is forgotten nothing is forgotten basically means that uh, tissue has memory and tissue can store all types of trauma physical trauma mental and emotional trauma, spiritual trauma, any kind of trauma you can think of can be stored in human tissue. Uh, for those of you who might really enjoy a good read on something like that, uh, Dr. John Upledger has a really fascinating book. It's called Cell Talk. Um, it's, it's quite long. It's quite dense. It's a bit of a technical read in spots, uh, but very, very good book on this whole concept of tissue memory uh, and how the body handles various types of trauma. Uh, so the third pillar in my practice is that everything accumulates, uh, which is a big deal. So what that basically means is that even a very minor trauma can cause major types of pain and big problems. Right? So this is sort of the, uh, 
This is like the, the the Wonder Bread story, right? Somebody bends over to pick up a loaf of bread out of the back of their vehicle or something like that, and they blow their back out, right? No. You, you know, unless you're just waking up from, you know, a six-month coma, you know, bending over to pick up a loaf of bread is not going to be enough of a load or, or, or a sufficient physical stressor on its own to, to blow a disc or you know, really cause a significant injury. What what that is, is basically the straw that broke the camel's back. So you have lots of minor trauma that accumulate over the course of time. And then you get to a point where, you know, a certain structure reaches its given threshold and boom, you have an injury or, you know, whatever the case may be. This is in osteopathy. We often refer to, we often refer to this as something that's called the pre-lesional state Right, so in other words, somebody could have all sorts of crazy stuff going on in their cervical spine, right? But they've adapted fairly well to that, and then one day they get into a little nothing fender bender, and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose, and they have all this neck pain, all these problems, headaches. They go get an MRI. It looks like a bomb went off in their cervical spine when you're reading the radiology report and when you're looking at the scans. Everything looks crazy, and they're like, this is nuts. I had no problems at all my entire life with my neck or my hands or my upper limbs or headaches or my my vision or any of this kind of stuff and all I did was back my car up out of the out of my parking space and I hit a you know whatever I hit a shopping cart or I hit somebody else's car I was going like you know one and a half miles an hour and now I have all these problems was because lots of trauma accumulated in and around the cervical spine before that occurred and again, you have sort of a, a straw that breaks the camel's back scenario. So everything accumulates and something that's very small can cause very, very big problems. And then the fourth pillar that I operate on is that uh, adaptation is not infinite. Right? So every, I'll try to figure out a good way to, to put this in, in summary that doesn't get extremely long-winded, but Every 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 patient or client that comes to a, a doctor, a therapist, a practitioner, whatever, they all come in with their own unique set of life experiences and perceptions and, and, and traumas, right? And their body has endured strains and constant stressors and traumas and all these types of things. And what what is what does the body do with these strains and stressors and the traumas, right? It it absorbs them and it employs various methods of adaptation and compensation. Right? Our nervous system is an amazingly complex organ, and it has a lot of uh, plasticity, and it can adapt and mold itself and change, and it continues to refine and define itself throughout your entire life. Uh, however, uh, there are limits to the extent of adaptation that the nervous system can accommodate, right? So it's not, a, it's not an infinite or limitless adaptation capacity. You can kind of think of that as like the, the nervous system's range of motion. Once you push it beyond its limits, there are physical and, 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 and even uh, biochemical changes that occur which can permanently interfere with, with, your, with our ability to respond appropriately to the world that's around us. And that's usually whenever maladaptation takes place. Right? So regardless of, of, of the source of, of a given problem, the, what's called the nociceptive input from the body's tissues contributes to something that's called the, the total afferent load on the nervous system and that decreases the ability of the nervous system to respond to internal to its internal and external demands. 
So over the course of time, eventually you kind of exceed the nervous system's range of motion and its ability to effectively compensate and adapt. And that's when you're going to see maladaptation. That's when you're going to start seeing people complaining of physical pain and maybe even lots of other uh, chemical problems as well, hormonal issues, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, so how does all that look for a given patient or client whenever they come in to see somebody like me? Right, we have all these principles and pillars and all this stuff sounds really fancy and all that, but how does it actually all work? You know, so whenever somebody comes in to see me, what I basically have them do initially is to kind of throw all of their health pieces on a table. Right? We have a subjective interview, which is extremely detailed. Um, we go through, I'll go through every injury as, in as much detail as the individual can remember as far back as they can remember uh, and make note of all of those different types of things and get a very uh, detailed timeline of you know physical mental emotional and possibly even spiritual traumas throughout throughout their entire life what are your what are your major injuries when did these things start what was the first injury you had did you have any birth trauma although a lot of people don't remember that and they have to ask their parents and all these different types of things, but we go through a very detailed uh, subjective interview uh, based off of some fairly extensive paperwork that I have people fill out. Then we move into an evaluation where I will evaluate the individual from foot to head or head to foot, however, whichever way you want to go. Um, trying to find areas of the body that have been particularly challenged for any number of reasons, figure out exactly where their problems are stemming from. Then we get started with their manual therapy, manual osteopathy and corrective exercise type stuff. Uh, anytime somebody, I see somebody for, for manual work, they always get homework or you know corrective exercise or movement re-education or some, some, some type of a, an active movement program that reinforces what we're doing whenever they're lying on a treatment table. Uh, and for me, I tend to be a person's last stop before they they lose all hope. Right? As I said, I'm, you know, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, most people don't have the foggiest idea of, of what manual osteopathy is, of what real uh, corrective exercise and movement re-education is actually supposed to look like. And they, they really don't have a clue what it is I do. 90, greater than 90% of my, my practice is on direct referral. So it's people are coming in because oh I talked to so and so and she told me you know you helped her whenever she broke her neck when you know nobody else did um, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that I'm some miracle working guy uh, although if you talk to some of my people they, they probably would tell you that but I, I, I always uh, adamantly dis disagree with that because even though I'm the last stop and somebody's gone to 17 different therapists before they get to me, every single one of those therapists offered something to that individual. Uh, every single one of those therapists brought something to the table that was of some level of benefit to the body, even if it's unbeknownst to the person at the time. So those 17 therapists basically just paved the road for me to be able to do what I do much easier. You know, so I, people always want to give me all kinds of credit for things, 
um, and I'm, you know, I'm learning, I guess, as part of part of my journey, uh, to somewhat accept the compliments. Uh, but at the same time, I always tell people I don't really do anything. I'm just I'm just helping unlock the body's own you know self-regulating and self-healing mechanisms and all we're doing all i'm trying to do is remove the tension from the body's ability to be able to do that in the first place right so even though i'm the last stop and i have a pretty good success rate uh, i do keep track of that kind of stuff and on any given year it's usually somewhere between 84 and 96 percent uh which you know I, I i think is pretty good um particularly because I get cases that are, you know, this is the end of the line. They've been everywhere else, and they usually sit down and tell me something along the lines of, I have absolutely no idea what you do, uh, but I've been everywhere else, and no one else has any answers, so what do you got? That's a that's a typical statement that I'll hear pretty much every day in my office. Uh, so what I do with all of that information, their, their history, uh, their evaluation, and... Uh, their manual therapy and or their uh, home their home program corrective exercise movement re-education proprioceptive exercises awareness exercises breathing exercises whatever that's going to look like for the individual in question I basically am involved in helping them create the health puzzle that they want from a physical standpoint so as as an osteopathic manual practitioner that's all of what I just got finished running my mouth about for the last, whatever, 20, 25 minutes or so, the four principles and the four pillars that I operate on and how I look at the body, so on and so forth, all of that is how I run the physical side of, of my personal practice. Um, I do have a very specific way that I like to evaluate people that's based off of cranial nerve function that I believe is very, very effective which I was first exposed to whenever I did my Czech Level 3 internship with Paul at the Czech Institute. You know, that was in 2004, maybe 2004, 2005. I can't remember. I'd have to look that up. Um, and over the last 15 years of using that system, I've obviously I've added some things to it and kind of refined it a little bit based on my own practical experience and additional education and courses and things that I've taken and created a system that I believe is really, really effective at helping people get to the root cause of what is ailing them physically. Now, the physical side of things is only one aspect of it, right? You, you've always got the what Dr. George Goodhart referred to as the triad of health, the, the physical aspects, the, the chemical, which is like your hormonal and nutritional aspects, and then you have your mental aspects as well. You kind of think of that as maybe a, uh, like a, a, a three-legged stool, mental chemical and and physical so the other side of my practice is the chemical stuff or the holistic health stuff uh, or the food and physiology stuff whatever you want to call it uh, I am a, a holistic health practitioner I'd like to take a moment to to address that a little bit the holistic health industry and the holistic or the alternative health industry um uh, It, it's it's kind of gotten away, literally, uh, in my opinion, from what it's actually supposed to be. For me, holistic just means looking at the entire person. You know, it's not about uh, cleanses or detoxifications or 
uh, colonics or, you know, going outside and hugging a tree and although that can be beneficial, I guess, uh, for some people, depending on a number of factors. Uh, but it, it's it's not about, you know, taking shit tons of supplements and all this kind of stuff. That's not what that's not what holistic health is about. Uh, holistic health is about looking at the entire person, looking at them physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, uh, looking at all of the different factors that impact their perception of you know who they are and where they fit in the grand design of the entire universe uh, all of that would be more uh, of a holistic approach as opposed to what gets kind of what masquerades as holistic health nowadays i i, I see this stuff all the time uh so i'm i'm not a doctor i don't i don't diagnose or attempt to cure anything that's not my gig medicine diagnosis and medicine uh does whatever it is they do with drug therapies, etc. That's not my gig. Uh, I work with my my patient and my clients on food, possibly supplementation when it's necessary, and you know ecological lifestyle modification to enhance health and resiliency within their body. Because it's my sort of part of my philosophy that the healthier you are, the more resilient you're going to be uh, to anything really which at, at this moment in time is uh, a pretty critical point um i'm not going to get into the whole the, the whole current uh pandemic plague crisis situation that we have going on with with covid-19 but essentially uh, at the, at a very fundamental level the the best defense that one has is to be the most resilient human being they can be which basically amounts to make, getting yourself as healthy as you possibly can on all fronts so that the body can function the way the body is designed to function and it'll deal with you know viruses and bugs and bacteria and all the things that we've dealt, dealt with throughout our history uh, the way the body is capable of doing so. Uh, so I, I work not to diagnose, not to treat, not to you know necessarily... I don't tell anybody to take medication or not take medication that's you know conversations that people need to have with their physicians uh, but what I do tell people is that the healthier you get the more likelihood there is that the side effects of your medication are going to become more pronounced and when that starts to happen you need to carry yourself to your physician and have a conversation with that person and say hey all right I I've done some 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 changing of my nutrition or changing of my food selection or changing of my lifestyle so on and so forth and I think this medication is now starting to cause me a problem you know what what are, what are, what are our options here moving forward do we do we look to decrease the dosage do we change the medication what do we do those are conversations that people have to have with their physicians um, I do consulting and coaching based on a, a more of a holistic model of you know what are you what are you doing daily what are you doing weekly what are you doing monthly and yearly and are you able to meet the metabolic demands that you're placing on your body uh, on a moment-to-moment -moment, short-term medium-term and long-term basis because if you're not you're gonna run into trouble right so typically if somebody has a lot of health issues and they end up contacting me uh, for whatever reason they got my name from someone or they maybe they read something that I wrote although most people don't read a whole heck of a lot anymore which is kind of the reason why 
one, another one of the reasons why I've gone to this this podcasting model is because hopefully people are able to listen to some of the things that I say on their way to work or while they're doing whatever it is they do and they don't have to actually read anything. Um, going through the process with someone uh, involves what I call a case review. So we look at, you know, I have extensive paperwork that I have that I, I have people send, uh, that I have people fill out that basically goes over a number of factors that would affect roughly 28 different organ and glandular systems in the body. Uh, if they have blood labs, I certainly do like to get a look at those because they they offer a lot of uh, really cool insights into, into someone's physiology if you know what you're looking for. Uh, there's some in-home assessments that I'll also have people do at times. Very, very basic and simple things that can tell you a lot about what's going on with someone's physiology. You know, someone's uh, body temperature and pulse uh, rhythms throughout the day, uh, urinary and salivary pH throughout the day. Um, there's uh, a, a salivary pH challenge test with uh, lemon juice and, uh, and some other things that can be used to assess the alkaline mineral reserves within the body. There's all sorts of things that you can do. You can do a glucose challenge test, although I don't have a lot of people do that unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, you can also do a potassium challenge test, which is also something that I don't have people do unless I think it's absolutely necessary. Uh, but all those things come together, and what we do over the coach, what I do over the course of time, is to teach and coach that person how to use food uh, essentially for maximizing energy production. Right? Because my approach to food can kind of be summed up by uh, a quote from uh, Ray Pete, Ph.D. Uh, those of you who know me who are familiar with some of the things that I've written in the past know that I'm a huge fan of Ray's work. Uh, I have all his books. I've got newsletters of his and uh, followed you know, thousands of hours of interviews of Ray. Uh, although sometimes listening to an interview of Ray is a little bit on the challenging side because uh, he sometimes speaks rather slowly. Uh, but the information that the guys got, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. And my, my, you know, the work that I do is not solely based on Ray's work. It's Ray's work and a lot of other people. But Ray's got a really good quote, which I think sums up everything about, you know, looking for a unifying principle across the board of, you know, health, nutrition, etc. This is it for me. And the quote is, uh, the ideal therapy is one which restores the cellular energy thoroughly. So the organism regains its full capacity to adapt and seeks appropriate stimulation. Right? So the way I interpret that is the name of the game is energy production and conservation. Right? So the, the, the number one factor that's going to determine how your body is able to adapt and, and sort of regenerate versus maladapt and degenerate is going to be the amount of energy that you can produce and conserve. Right, so from a food standpoint, there are certain foods that support the process of cellular energy production to a greater degree than other foods do for lots of reasons. And as I go through, you know, we go through the weeks and the months and all this stuff. I've written about all this stuff before, but like I said, uh, you know, no one's going to read a 36-page article that I've written on carbohydrates. <laughs> um, some people have, but, you know, most people don't have that kind of time. Um so sitting down and reading is, is not a priority for people. So I'll, I'll probably end up doing, you know, a podcast on just carbohydrates and probably just proteins and probably just fats. And there may be multiple podcasts 
dedicated to each of those topics. But there's certain foods from an energy production standpoint that support that process to a greater degree than others. And there's a number of reasons why that happens. Uh, but basically, food is the foundation for everything else that someone is, is going to do. Yes, some people require supplementation, uh, and that's addressed and, and sort of used when when indicated. But uh, this is another one of those things where the, the holistic or the alternative, uh, whatever you want to call it, industry has kind of lost its way. You know, I've, basically what I see a lot of functional medicine practitioners do um, currently, and I, I used to be into that gig, uh, as I said earlier, I, I did do, uh, s- several fellowships in functional medicine, and I was actually, uh, on staff as a consultant, uh, with, uh, Dr. Daniel Bivens in his clinic, whenever he, we were consulting with, uh, Biohealth Diagnostics, which was one of those founded by, uh, Dr. Will, Bill, uh, Dr. Bill Timmons, or William Timmons, um, this is one of the, the the best functional medicine diagnostic laboratories uh, possibly in the world. Um, and we did, uh, through Dr. Bivens' clinic, we did uh, functional medicine consulting for people all over the world. And I did that for with him for uh, about three years before, uh, sadly, he, he ended up passing away. Um, but w- what functional medicine has gotten into now is basically running a whole bunch of labs on people and sometimes running very elaborate and expensive functional medicine tests and then just throwing people on shit tons of supplements. Um, you know, pardon the language. Sometimes I get kind of fired up. Um, I'll try to keep the language on the reservation most of the time. But, you know, as an example, I, I, I not long ago in my office, I had a very young uh, individual who was, f- he was actually the same age as my youngest son. He's about four and a half years old, and he came to me from this big wig, very well known in our state, uh, doctor, uh, alternative, uh, well, I forget what the, the title was, integrative medicine something or another, and the, the four-year-old was placed on 34 supplements. Uh, and I find that to be completely asinine, like pretty much some of the dumbest shit ever. You can't give a four-year, four and a half-year-old thirty. You know, I'm I wouldn't take thirty-four supplements, and you know, I'm almost a forty-year-old man. Uh, nobody ever addressed what the kid was eating. Nobody ever addressed what the kid was drinking. Nobody ever addressed anything else related to the kid's lifestyle and and you know, it was activities of daily living. Nothing else was addressed except let's run. $3,500 worth of test on this kid and let's put him on 32 to 30. It was 32 or 34. I have to look at the file. 32, 34 different supplements. Completely ridiculous. That is not holistic health. That is not, I guess you could call it alternative medicine because they're not using medication with it as an alternative to medication. They're using supplements, but it basically falls into a category of, of uh, what I would call greeniopathy. It's, it's, it's just the same model that allopathic medicine operates off of just applied to supplements and herbs and stuff. So instead of taking a look at, at labs and prescribing medication, people take a look at labs and, and functional medicine tests and cortisol rhythms and salivary assessments of this, that, and the other. And they just throw people on big elaborate supplement protocols without looking at more foundational principles. Uh, so, I guess that's my little rant on, you know, sort of the holistic, you know, oftentimes if I tell somebody I'm a holistic health practitioner, they might look at me sideways and I'm like, look, it's not, 
you know, I'm not going to break out some bones and rattles and start shaking stuff over your head and going into, you know, crazy chants and all this kind of stuff. And look, I'm not saying that that stuff doesn't work either. There, there's probably uh, a, a place for that. Um, but that's not where we start. certainly wouldn't be where anything would start, right? You, you've got to get at the, the foundational principles of, you know, someone's breathing. What are they... <sighs> Are they dehydrated? Because most people are. Um, what do they eat? And when it comes to what they eat, you know, what's their food selection like? What's their nutrient timing and their meal frequency like? Do they take any supplements? And if they do, what are they and why? Do they even need that? Um, you know, how much movement are they getting? Are they are they moving at all? Because you know, the 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 visceral organ system of the human body does require movement to maintain its health. Um, what's their sleep quality like? And you know, kind of how are they function functioning from a from a mental capacity? You know, because if you're always, you know, if you're thinking life is shit, then pretty much life will be shit. <laughs> um, kind of the way it goes. Uh, energy goes where intention flows kind of a thing so uh, I, I think it's completely ridiculous to throw people on tons of supplements or try to throw supplements at a problem when the foundational principles haven't even been addressed yet you know, it's a it's a little bit like you know foolish was the man who built his house upon a sand upon sand kind of thing when you're taking a ton of supplements and doing cleanses and detoxifications and all this kind of stuff but you're not looking at what you're putting into your body on a meal-to-meal basis and how you actually live as a human being, then you are you are literally missing the forest through the trees. It's, it's, it's a big problem. Um, so those are kind of those are the two different sides to my practice. Now back in the day, uh, when I was a little bit more uh, I don't know how to describe that, but I was not as flexible <laughs> with things. All of that was an all-inclusive thing in my practice. If you were going to work with me, you had to do all the physical stuff and you had to do all the, the, the food, nutritional, lifestyle coaching stuff as well. Uh, and, and, you know, where, where I live in, in southern Louisiana, and it, it may not really be all that different from a lot of other places, but, uh, you know, changing nutrition and lifestyle or changing food and lifestyle in southern Louisiana is a lot like trying to change someone's religion. Um just not a lot of people are willing to do that, at least to not a, a significant degree. So I guess it was probably about, I don't know, maybe 11 or 12 years ago where I completely separated the two aspects of the practice. So now, you know, if you've got back pain, you don't necessarily have to listen to me speak to you about, you know, your nutrition and lifestyle habits. Yes, Inevitably, that's going to come up in conversation and there's going to be things that you're going to want to do to help, you know, decrease inflammation and all of those things. And as I said, pain is a bi-directional phenomenon, so you can't completely ignore it. But it's not a thing where somebody has to go through, through the entire process on the food, physiology, and lifestyle side of things where they can just work with me on the manual therapy side of things. And there may come a point in time where I get someone to a point where I'll say, all right, look, I've taken you as far as I can take you 
physically with this stuff. You have everything physically that you need to be able to manage this problem. If you're actually doing the things that I'm asking you to do, you're keeping up with your homework and you're doing all the things right that you're supposed to be doing and you're still not quite getting where you need to go, then now maybe it's time we start looking at other factors that could be at play here. Um, and a lot, I mean, a lot of times that, that doesn't necessarily happen. Um, I'm, like I said, I have a pretty good success rate on the physical side of things using just my physical modalities. There's always some, some chemical components built into it. Like, Hey, you have a disc problem in your back. You may want to make sure you're adequately hydrated because the discs kind of need that. Not only do discs need it, fashion needs it, your brain needs it, your body needs it. Right? It's not rocket science that you need to be well hydrated. So maybe drink less of other things and try to drink a little more water. Um, you know, so there's, there's always basic recommendations built into any physical program. That's not necessarily a physical recommendation. Uh, but the two sides of, of the practice or, or of my practice are separate. Uh, I do have people that do combine the two and they do do them together and I mean not surprisingly those people are usually the ones who get uh, you know really really fantastic results really really fast and they last a lot longer um, so that's sort of a little bit about I think I'm, I don't even know where I'm at right now I'm probably well over an hour but that's a little bit about me my approach to the human body how my practice operates uh, there's tons of stuff uh, about, you know, the details of, of all the processes and things that I've kind of discussed here that are uh, on the webs on my website. And um, some of it's included on some of the social media stuff that I do, although I'm not terribly good at social media either. Remember at the beginning I mentioned I'm not the most tech-savvy individual in the world. Um, but... As an osteopathic manual practitioner and a holistic health practitioner, I'm here, I, I believe, as a, you know, sort of a, a driving purpose for, for my life's energy is to impart upon people what they can do to make themselves the most, basically create the most resilient physiology that they can for themselves, to, to bring about the health picture that they want, right? So oftentimes I... I'm not necessarily interested in, in my goals for someone. Uh, of course, I have them. Uh, but it's really about what are what are your goals? Right? So if somebody comes in and, and tells me that their goal is to be out of pain, I'll usually tell them that's cool, uh, but what are you going to do after that? Because sometimes, depending on the person, I, you know, <laughs> I can sometimes get someone out of pain, you know, inside of 20 minutes. Or... You know, even inside of a few sessions, if they've, you know, depending on how long the problem has been there and, uh, you know, a lot of other variables. But what's what's the bigger goal? You know, getting out of pain is fantastic. And, and certainly that's going to be a, a, a major priority for anybody who's experienced any level of significant pain over a, a, an extended period of time. No doubt. What's your initial goal? Get out of pain. All right. What's after that? Ah, well, you know, I'd like to be able to play with my grandkids or something. All right, well, that's something we can anchor our efforts into. Uh, or, you know, I'd like to be able to, uh, you know, like my goal, when I initially got injured at 17 years of age, the only thing I cared about at all 
And I was like, forget about being able to walk around and, you know, not sleep on the floor and all that. I want to play basketball. <laughs> I just want to play ball without pain at a high level. Uh, so that was a, you know, a, a big enough goal to anchor whatever I needed to do into uh, that kind of kept, uh, you know, kept my eye on the prize kind of a deal. So everybody that comes to see me has their own individual goals, obviously. And that's a discussion that we have during our uh you know, doing our during our subjective interview, you know, what are your goals for for this to be a a, a very successful client practitioner relationship? What is it that you need to get out of this in order for you to consider this to be a success? And my job is to help you rearrange the pieces of your health puzzle so that that becomes a reality for you, uh, even if that has nothing to do with the goals that I might have for you, because oftentimes. Somebody might come in with, uh, you know, pain on a perceived pain scale. That's, uh, and I'll ask them, you know, what's what's your average pain level on a given day? And they're like, oh, it's like 8 out of 10. And they're super stoked if I can get them to a 4. You know, and they think life is, you know, they got a new lease on life at 4 out of 10. I'm not happy with that. <laughs> you know, I want them at a 0. Or at, at the very least, if, I'm, if we're talking about an 8, because that's a pretty high starting point, I want to get them at least down to a 2. And oftentimes they get to a 4 and... You know, it's, you know, the heavens have opened for for, the, for for that individual. And I'm still, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking to myself, I'm kind of pissed about it because I'd like to get him to a two, a one, or a zero. Um, and oftentimes that does happen. It just, you know, might take a little uh, convincing on my part. So, look, you're at a four and you think that's great, but we can do better than that. You know, it may take us a little bit longer, whatever the case may be, but, uh, you know, as long as I help people get what they're looking for in terms of their their physical abilities and you know their overall uh, health status, that's what I'm here for. Uh, and I've I've done this again, like I said, since I was uh, 19 years old, and I literally can't literally can't see myself doing anything else. Um, so that's a little bit about me, sort of an introductory podcast for those that don't know me. Um, I hope it wasn't too boring. I, I certainly uh, enjoyed it. Uh, I usually don't like talking about myself all that much. Um, and I left a whole bunch of stuff out based on the notes that I had for, for uh, topics to put into this thing. But uh, some of that stuff will, will be placed into future podcasts and all that kind of stuff. So I appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, you know, feel free to uh, you know, send me any suggestions or whatever it is you might want to add to you know what I'm talking about or any any I'm I'm welcoming any and all input. I'm on a huge learning curve with this stuff, um, and I'll figure out how to post it. Uh, my plan is to put this stuff uh, on my website eventually with show notes to each show. Uh, with you know bullet points for for high points for people who might not want to listen to the whole hour hour and a half whatever it is spill so uh, I thank you all for listening I greatly appreciate it um, I'm looking forward to future episodes and I hope you guys are, will be there to join me and and uh, continue on this new uh, podcasting journey of mine so thank you guys very much That concludes this episode. 
Thank you for listening to Brandon Speaks. Feel free to reach out to Brandon via his website, www.innatemovewell.com. You can also send any thoughts you may have or suggest future podcast topics to innatemovewell at gmail.com. Brandon would love to hear from you. Follow him on his social media sites, which can be accessed through his website. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button, leave a review, and share this podcast with anyone interested in taking their performance, health, and wellness to the next level. Hope to see you on the next episode. Until then, support the process of healing. And thanks again for listening to Brandon Speaks.